Hello everyone, how you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This is another phenomenal opportunity. The guest today is one that many of you that I know that listen to this show are familiar with but maybe don't always know all the latest updates into our guest journey and things that are going on and uh before i introduce the guest and allow her to introduce herself i know for me personally uh, this guest here is one that i have followed from afar both when she was in the u.s and now in denmark and and just through being inspired through her work and uh, the inquiry and her passion for for reading and passion for education and learning, I think just in a, in a bigger general sense, was always someone that uh, I really, really just valued the voice and the work that she's done. And even thinking about this show leading up to this, I, I was trying to figure out what is it, because there's so many great people that inspire and, and um, motivate us to keep going. And I think with this guest, the the word that, that keeps coming to mind is this idea of of, of solace. Like I always find uh, solace in the words and the voice of this guest, even when the ideas are being pushed and challenged. She has a a, a way about uh, her delivery that I think, boy, can really make you scratch your head. Uh, can get some people to really rethink some things, but at the same time you walk away not feeling offended either. And I think that is a, a true gift, especially as we're trying to be change agents to do things better for education. Um, and that's not always easy to do because a lot of times when we're challenged, we we tend to uh, build up a wall pretty quick. And I would say that's not necessarily the people listening to this show, but I think we all work with people and people in positions of power, whether that's the system at large is what I'm talking about here that um, don't always like change. Uh, so, with that, I'm talking about um, the phenomenal uh, Pernille Rip. And, and, and why don't we start off with who you are? I, I, <laughs> I know that many people listening in are familiar with some aspects of your work, if not all of it, in some shape or form. Um, what you've got going on, because you've had some pretty <laughs> awesome life changes. At least I hope they're awesome. And uh, we'll just dive into an awesome conversation here of uh, some, some fun, thought-provoking um, ideas. Sounds good. Thank you, Aaron. I'm super excited to sit here, like I just said to you off air, to sit in conversation with a friend, especially when you're sitting <laughs> in a country where I really don't know anyone in my local community. I was so excited the other day. I was taking the train home from work and I saw someone that I vaguely had seen before. And I was like, this, this is a milestone moment. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Pernille Rip. I have been in America for the last 24 years. I was born in Denmark and I spent 24 years in, in America and 14 and a half of those years in the American public school system, teaching fourth, fifth, seventh, and seventh grade. And then um, this summer we decided to move back home to Denmark. Um, to try to experience what it means to be an adult in a country I left when I was 18. Um, I moved with my, my American husband and my four kids. Um, it was kind of a quick turnaround. <laughs> it was one of those where opportunities uh, presented themselves. And then it was like we had six weeks to, to do it all and, and to stand on the shore of Denmark August 26th. Um, 
I am currently not in the classroom, which tugs at my heart in so many ways. It just wasn't in the cards, um, but I'm still working in education. I'm working for um, Family, which is an early childhood platform, and I do um, early education brand writing. So it's been super fascinating to like take all the writing skills that I've developed through the years and, of course, like education knowledge and then transfer it down to younger kids because <laughs> I have never <laughs> been in early childhood education only in my role as a parent um, but then also thinking about like you said the power and positionality within early childhood why is it it's not a major topic of discussion anywhere really especially in the U.S. as far as politically funding wise respect wise and what can we do when we sit in you know like a tech platform and and advocate for respect and better um, just better conditions for the kids in our care and and for the people who care for them. So it's been a wild journey. Um, I'm bouncing between the U.S. and Denmark. I was just at NCT in California, which was incredible. And I'll be back in Canada in February. And so sitting in this position as kind of a global educator and looking at two different systems that on the surface look very different and feel very different and yet uncovering the same problems mm -hmm. or room for improvement as we could put it has been fascinating and and so i'm super focused on on getting um, connected with educators here in denmark and not just standing on the sidelines as a parent um, i already have some connections and then you know heading back towards the classroom as well and and joining the conversation that's happening over here and then putting it in the lens of like how does this impact us in the u.s i i think back to kind of all the focus on Finland and, and how kids in Finland were the happiest and like I see a lot of those same aspects here in Denmark and so how do we take ideas that maybe don't fit into the system that we have in place and yet would still benefit the people in the system so that's a yeah so <laughs> so it's me hi from the other side of the ocean apparently <laughs> yeah no I love that I mean I really I mean as you're, you're talking through that I mean it's it's really like this big huge puzzle right you have you you're 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 living a life uh you've made some some big changes i mean to just go across the pond it's not an easy decision to make to make any sort of life changes it's never easy um let alone to go to a whole nother country and to do that with you know uh mm -hmm. a significant other and and children it always you know manifest that but i think what what you're just what you said there is 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 so powerful because how do we find those opportunities to learn from each other, even across other countries, because while we can read some, you know, case examples, I'll call it of Finland and, you know, this country's doing this really well, or this or that, it's really hard to kind of get more like entrenched to find those voices to say, you know, what is the, on the surface level, what is working? And then also what, what, what's not working, um, you know, so you haven't been in Denmark a, a whole lot of time, but, you know, with your, kids in the system and 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 the work that you're doing in the early childhood i mean what have been some like initial ahas or um things that have discovered i mean obviously you're you're still just dabbing your toe i would assume and into just like you said i wow i recognize somebody for this you know, i've seen that face before so i know there's still a lot but it's, right. it's, it's probably such a unique perspective because you you had such a powerful voice and i would say we're no one understands at all but especially 
in the work you were doing, especially when you were on stateside, uh, your voice really resonated, I think, with a lot of the things that many educators and librarians and 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 people were really grappling with. Like you you had a good voice to to help people leverage some of the things that they were going against. And so um this uh, yeah. was an interesting thing because I think that's a perspective yeah. that many of us don't don't have. No, and, and I also want to say it's such a privilege, right? Like, it's yeah, a privilege right. to be able to pick up your family and, like, go to another country who has really restrictive and pretty racist <laughs> socioeconomic immigration policies, right? Right, yes, um, yes. And yes. so there were things, of course, from my own childhood recollection of growing up in the Danish school system that I was looking for. And it's been fascinating to see my own kids come home and kind of have these aha moments play out, right? Like, one of the first ones that they played out was like, they keep giving us breaks, mom. Like we have snack and then we have food and we're outside and, and, and we're just running around and we're in the forest and there's even a river, like, or a little stream, I'm sure in my case, sure. it, was, it was a river, right? Like we get to go in it as long as we're not soaking wet and we just like use our brains. And so ex seeing them experience a lot more freedom, mm. um, you know, we get very restrictive in the U S and, and there's a a lot of societal pressure on us to really like control the movement and police the movement of children. And so even Ida, um, my oldest daughter told me, um, you know, mom, the, the teachers leave because in Denmark, the teachers move into the students space and teach and oh. the students stay. Mm. And I've been thinking a lot about that because, you know, we stand in our beautiful classrooms in the U.S. and welcome kids into our space, right? And no matter how much we say, this is our space, this is shared, end of the day, we're still the ones in control. And that right. says a lot about the power structure that's embedded within our classroom. But here, the kids are in the classroom and the teachers leave. And my kids were just like blown away that they were left to their own accord in between teachers shifting out. And of course, you know, my, my twins are 10. And so they were like, oh my gosh, man, they, they write swear words on the wall or on the whiteboard. And, and But they're very good at erasing it. And it's so fascinating, right? Because kids know how, for the most part, how to behave or play by the rules of adults. But then they're also kids when like the adults are not around. Yeah. The fact that like anarchy isn't breaking out is just like mm. wild to my own kids. But so... That to me has been fascinating, right? Like that idea of how do we develop personal freedom within our classroom spaces and our school spaces, which is very close to the work that I've done for years in the right. U.S., right? Like how do we develop student engagement and empowerment and 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 give them back the control that we have so, you know, meticulously ripped out of their hands throughout their entire schooling? Um, but that's also a societal component of Denmark. There's a lot of personal responsibility. Kids are really expected to grow up um, at a pretty, not rapid rate, but kind of at a very steady clip. And so that gradual release into adulthood doesn't feel as abrupt as it might in the mm. U.S., where we very much like wrap kids in care. And then like the minute they turn 18, we're like, OK, good luck. Like, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> you can go to college now and do like all the crazy things. Um, but at the same time, too, even within this more, you know, freedom based system or whatever you want to call it, I still see a lot of the same issues play out. I still see, you know, the the joy of reading being non-existent. I see the, the you know, there's Lexile. Lexile is everywhere. And if mm. you have followed any of my work, yeah. you know how much I, I hate those like restrictive <laughs> boundaries we put on children. Um 
I see, you know, kids being disengaged, kids, kids feeling unsafe, kids feeling unwelcome. Like I see the same issues. And I also see um, the, you know, lack of really profound respect for educators. Mm-hmm. Um, while it's maybe not as loud as it is in the U.S., I see the tired educators here. I see them spending, you know, all of their energy and trying to reach every single child and and not really getting back the care that society should be giving them. Right. And so that's been fascinating that even sitting in this kind of like Shangri-La of a country, right, um, we still have teachers who are really burned out. They still have a huge recruitment um, issue here. There's a huge teacher shortage. And so it leads, you know, it, it makes me think about like, it's not just the system in the U.S., although the system in the U.S. absolutely sets you up for burnout. It's also this very like global view of like what teaching is and and how we care for people who care for children. And it's not just in our public schools, right? Like it's pervasive throughout the system. It's It's in early childhood as well. So it's been fascinating to see like how how do we then care for the adults and what are the restrictions that apparently the system is never going to give to us so we have to implement ourselves in order to preserve our own sanity and our own mental health and our energy i mean it was interesting i just saw the other day i love instagram um a lot and somebody had posted a beautiful screenshot of teacher self-care ideas and it was you know go for a walk um find a friend drink delicious coffee, do stretches. And I was like, how about don't work beyond work hours? Yeah. yeah. And yet my husband, who's a first year teacher, or he was a first year teacher last year, you know, before he went into the classroom, he was like, I'm not going to be one of those teachers that sits. He's like, I know you love your job, Pernille. And I know, you know, you, you like to go the extra mile and work all these extra hours. He's like, but I'm not going to do that. And within a couple of weeks, he was like, there's actually no way for me to do my job without working beyond work hours. And I was right. like, yeah. And he's yeah. like, I, I thought I knew, but I didn't until I stood in the classroom. Yeah. And like, so until we fix that system, like we're going to continue to see the incredible, just like, you know, just like, I hate even using the term burnout because it feels like it's a personal decision. Teachers don't choose to burn out. The system like burns them out. Right. Right. Um, but we're going to see teachers just like not being able to stay within a system because it's unsustainable. Yeah. No, I mean, there's gosh, so much to unpack there. Yeah. I mean, well, first welcome back to Instagram. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lovely to be back. Yeah, Highly yeah, recommend yeah. two-factor authentication for anyone <laughs> yeah. who needs it in order yeah. to not get hacked by a hacker out of Turkey. Right. Who it for ransom. That was a saga. Yeah. But it, you know, even as you're sharing that, that Instagram post, I mean, what I like all those things, yes, that those are things that we can read that we know it helps with self-care, but um, I know even like for me, like the pet peeve of mine is, but that still then is requiring a teacher then to put five more things on their to-do list. Uh, like it's still the ownership is on them. Like, so, um, right. while yes, and I'm sure the intention behind that message was all positive, like the same time it's, it's, why does it always have to be upon the person that's feeling the pressures of <laughs> giving everything they possibly have and then more to sustain you know and that's where i think i find you know as you're talking about your your children you're then you're talking about some of the things within the system 
um, within Denmark and you're still seeing some similarities in terms of some of those issues. It's it's one of those things I find I have found really interesting that even like post COVID, uh, what I'm going to say an opportunity, and that sounds disgusting because COVID wasn't an opportunity, but there was a really huge opportunity for education to hit a hard reset button because everything for everyone around, not just education, had to really take a hard look at at, at ourselves. And what I'm finding is due to a whole host of reasons like I feel like the system has actually gone backwards since like uh, whether that's out of fear, whether that's the pressures now of, of scores dropping and we think we now got to get it, you know, we're just going to just grind things out because we want to show that we can get our, our test scores up, whatever it might be. Um, we we're, we're not seeing that what maybe what we were doing pre COVID wasn't the answer either. And I feel like we're, we're starting to harness things that weren't working to a stronger level post-COVID. Right. And no, I, think I would it, absolutely yeah. agree. And I think part of it was that in order for that opportunity to be fully uh, developed and fully embraced, we have to have the mental space to take it on. And COVID yeah. didn't give us more no, mental no, space. No. We were all in survival mode. I don't care what branch of education you were within, let alone just society, um, you can't do that when you don't have the mental space to take it on. Trying to explain the COVID experience in the U.S. compared to Denmark has been wild. Telling mm. my kids as teachers, oh, by the way, they sat virtually with teachers who worked so hard for 14 months. They're like, they did what? And we're like, yeah, it wasn't, you know, by choice. Right. But I also think that you have, you know, America is the land of extremes, both for good and bad. Um but there's this political machine also that's pu that's pushing a deficit narrative, right? And spreading hate. And so mm. we're also sitting with even more foes than we were previously to COVID. Um, you know, there are people that have grown really emboldened in their opinions and how they want to encroach on other people's liberties and freedoms. And I think about like before COVID, we had some of that. And it was definitely not easy to be in education. It wasn't easy to function uh, within society, especially for, for marginalized uh, people of the global majority or, or anyone who doesn't fit whatever is considered normal. Right. And then COVID just completely exasperated it and also made it okay to take your own religious views and really blast them onto other people mm. uh, for some and in, 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 in some ways in very negative ways right. not everybody but some right and so i think about that we are still just sitting in survival mode yeah like we've never gotten out of that and i think no. that was also part of the reason for me when we looked at you know can i get a teaching job in denmark and my husband kind of pulled me aside and he said have you thought about just taking a moment and stepping out and, and regaining your breath? And, yeah. and I was like, what do you mean? Like, I, f I felt like I was quitting, <laughs> like, you know, no. like not just in the literal sense of like quitting a job, but just like that I was somehow saying, you know, throwing in the gloves and giving up and surrendering to the system. And he was like, I, I really think you just taking a moment and, and going out and, and, and finding yourself again, not that I'd gotten lost, but just having the time to like replant your feet, take a deep breath, fill up whatever it is you've lost, and then come back renewed 
and re-energize yeah. and get right. back in. I hate to call it a fight, but man, I would say in the U.S. right now, it is a fight. Yeah, You know, we are fighting for the identities of children. We're fighting for the lives of kids. We're fighting for broad and visible representation. We're fighting to have choice within our curriculum. You know, I, I thought about that yesterday and I almost tweeted about it. And I was like, I was like, I don't know if I have the, the time to take <laughs> to take this discussion on. But I was thinking about, you know, there are things in Denmark that do not come up that are so prevalent in the US, mm. such as the whole like reading wars and science of reading. And if you're on this side, then you can't be on this side. And there's no such thing as balance and all of that. And I was just thinking to myself, like, why does it have to be so extreme? Why yeah. is it we love to push it to one side versus saying, okay, what are the best bits and pieces? And what do we need for the very unique children in our care? And so um, I think you're right. I think we, you know, in the history books, it's going to look like a really beautiful opportunity, but that's also us looking at it with rose colored lenses. Right. You know, right. We, didn't, we didn't, we didn't sit at home and go, man, I have all this free time to now change the world. We sat at home worrying about dying from a disease we didn't understand, worrying about the kids that we'd lost connection to, worrying about like what, how we were going to actually reach kids. And of course, worrying about our own people too. Yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, no, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think there's so many things that went into that for sure. And I think that's you, you, you hit something there. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not even coming over close to saying I understand all the reading world. I, I have some awesome colleagues I work with that would be the people that do that work on, on the daily. But I've, I mean, just being immersed in schools and the work that I do, um, you can't get away from it. Um, and then just even as you were saying that the reading war, I haven't even thought about that. And it, it just as you said that I'm my brain just started going through all the schools that I've been working with in the last month. And holy cow, like it's exactly what it's 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 happening. And it's happening at a rapid rate in conversations, uh, and 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 things that I'm doing in my work and I support more STEM and computer science with some legislation and boy just as you framed it that way i'm like that's exactly what's going on these there are these huge drastic measures of um i'm going to call it uh curriculum adoption but it's not really that i think that's the the safe word uh right. to say that we're going to you know whoever it's a marketing ploy like that's that's what drives me crazy right yeah. like it's a textbook driven business and fear sells. We know that. We yeah. know that from political campaigns. We know that from any kind of motivation. If we can tell you that what you have been doing is completely wrong and that you are putting children's futures at risk and then tell you, but we have the solution. How can you fight against that? And even okay. naming stuff, right? Like I think about that because I was asked that. Somebody was very lovely to say, well, where do you stand on this whole reading wars? Which side are you on? <laughs> right. What's the right. actual way they asked me? And I was like, oh, and I, yeah. and I, you know, everything in moderation, of course, we need to teach the, the, the skills of reading. Of course we do. And right. of course we need better teacher training on that as well. And then we also need to create 
reading experiences that aren't just about the skills, but that are about the reading identity, the reading journey, so that kids leave and adults leave us going, I see value in the act of reading. And you can't do that through just skills teaching. Kids have been telling us that for years. And so I think as, as we adults get driven up in a tissy and what's new and what's next, and we need more because the data isn't showing whatever, we just forget the kids, right? And we forget to listen to those that it affect the most. I mean, how often do you take kids' consideration into pilot programs? Or when the test scores come back, how often do we talk to kids about their reactions and what do they actually think it measured? Is it an accurate measure of who they are? I'll never forget David's words, uh, one of my students from a long time ago. Gosh, he's like out, out of high school and in college now. And he was like, grades will never tell you uh, you know, how I really did. And I mm. think about that, like, and who I really am. Like, they're just showing you what I chose to show you that day. Yeah. And that's exactly the same with data. Right. Yeah, we love extremes, extreme cell, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just as you're there, it, it makes me think so much about what are those, I mean, even going back to the idea of what you're talking about in Denmark, where the teachers enter the student space and I become quite passionate and I feel like it every day becomes more around this idea of, of spaces and not just physical spaces, but like mental spaces, emotional spaces. And how do we create these, these places where uh, trust and being able to be vulnerable. I mean, a lot of the stuff that work I do is like, how do we, we live in inquiry? How do we get kids excited about discovery? Um, and it, it's, it's less about, do they find the answer and more about, does that question lead to another question? And some of this work that I'm trying to figure out with some awesome educators is just that, like it's the, the learning journey is way more important than the, the final product. And it's not that we need them to know every detail about the journey that they're on. Yes. The, the standards are the floor. We're not, we're not going, mm-hmm. we're not rebelling against the system in, in that way. Like, yes, we can show what we need to show, but really our goal is we want kids to sit there and go, well, what about if, what if, how, and then, yeah, go, go figure that out. Well, if it doesn't work, I don't, well, what are you going to do next? And we, we expect kids to be on all the time, right? We tell them we need you to be creative. We need to be critical thinkers. We need you to collaborate, but yet we we don't give the space for it to like, I always use the word marinate to allow it to Mm -hmm. marinate, like get out of their way. Just like you're talking about, uh, you know, where, where in the day, you know, it's not just sitting in rows of desk and going, okay, now I need you to to love reading right now. I think there's something about a space to, um, and I don't mean that negatively to any teacher that does that. Sometimes the system, there is no other way to maybe mm-hmm. do some some free reading and just mm-hmm. and love reading. So I don't, I don't mean that as an attack on any individual, but I'm like, where do you go? Or could I go sit next to a creek and read for 20 minutes? Because mm-hmm. that's, where I kind of find my place, uh, you know, or and, and mm-hmm. insert reading with any other thing that we're, whoever people are passionate about. Um, just, but we don't trust the kid. Like we, we feel like we're wasting time. Uh, and by we, again, I'm talking about the system at large. Yeah, like true. we feel like everything has got to be scheduled. Every minute needs to be scheduled in the day or we're not doing our job. And I think we're missing the opportunities, which is none of us operate that way on our own. Right. <laughs> And I think it's, I mean, I, I had to think a lot about it. Um, I, I just, the, the cover was just released 
for my third edition of Passionate Learners, which was my first book, my baby book, all the yeah. way back from 2014. And then it was re-released. Second edition was in 2016 when I moved into middle school. And now 2023 is the third edition. And that's really what the heart of that book is, right? It's this idea of how do we let go in a system that teaches us that control is the best way to manage. Mm. Um, and when we don't have the big choices that we wish we had, right? If we can't take our classroom outside or go into the community and do hands-on like uh, community work or anything like that, then how else do we establish freedom and, and expand the borders of the space that we have? And that's really the question that I set out to answer many years ago and continue to work on. And it was fascinating to go back and go, okay, the core of my work is still the same, but how has COVID changed us? How has the world changed us? What does it look like now? And also, where do I raise my eyebrow and go, really, Perennial of 2016? Man, okay, that actually wouldn't work in sure. these systems. Um, but I think about that, that idea of inquiry being at the heart of everything about uh, really wanting kids to know how do I learn best, not just in Mrs. Rip's English class, but in general in life, because we constantly lament the fact that kids are not graduating as critical thinkers and then wonder what happened when we haven't given them the opportunity to do it as a system, because yes. you see hero teachers do it all the time. You see kids have those incredible experiences, that one class, that one teacher, that one year. So why is it not being replicated, right? Like, why is it that we are so focused on curriculum, but not the learning conditions in which these curriculums are presented? Why is it we can't sit down as a school and think of freedom and think of how do we give kids tools to feel more liberated? But that also means that we need to we need to come to grips with our own control demons. Mm, you know, yes. I remember when I first gave up seating charts, I was like, well, there, there goes the piece of our classroom or even like the, the need for complete silence during writing. Now, when I think about, I sit here as a professional brand writer, which has been wild. Yeah, and I'm I like, bet. I'm like, okay, what are the lessons that I learned and taught my students that actually would apply to my job right now? And it is feedback collaboration, writing a ton, knowing that some of your writing is going to be absolutely terrible. And but if you write it, you can fix it. And sitting and working with other people, developing tone and voice and audience. You know, of course, it's not a five paragraph essay. We know that, you know, everybody knows that. And yet we still have to teach kids it because some places you do need to write a five paragraph essay. But it's it's the life of writing that I sit in now. And I think about what are the classroom experiences that would model this? Mm. What's well, writing partnerships? It's kids being allowed to write 78 drafts and choosing one of them, right? It's allowing kids to stop when they feel like something is finished. It's allowing for real feedback to happen. But in order for that to happen, you need to have trust and all of those things. Um, so I just think like what you said too, with like the inquiry is the process, the question leads to the other question. It's not about the final product. We're in a system that has taught us that everything is about final products. And so undoing that takes a lot of time. And it's nice to have like a helping hand once in a while to say, here's what I've done here. Here's what worked for me. Take it, make it your own. And then of course, include the students in the conversation so that they can be owners of the process as well. Yeah. And so, you know, as you talk about your third edition of your of your book and all the new learning that you've gathered and probably even continue to learn even 
beyond the third edition itself because i mean as soon as you, you hit that publish button right. it's like oh, wait oh there's a new idea like, like, right. the next day that just happened yeah so like what you know i find that i find that interesting you know you, you talked a little bit about some of the things but i'm curious on what are some of the other like ahas you've had as we've just talked about here in this conversation so much has gone on with the world right. and so much has gone on in, in your own life journey of seeing right. different things and i was i was i completely connected with you about that idea of leaving the classroom. It's now been um, the role that I'm in. I'm in my gosh, fifth year. Jeez, I lose track of time. And it makes me like, I, I, I still, I still wrestle with that, that, that monster of you, you gave up like, you know, and, and, and teachers therefore, you know, don't respect you that way. And I know that's the the voice in my head, um, you know, and, but the beauty of my work is, where I'm at, I support 21 school districts. And as a result of getting out of, I always call it the local filter bubble. I worked in one middle school my entire mm-hmm. career. And I had this idea while I knew not everything was the same. I felt everyone, like everything operated the same way as where I worked. And now this job has really challenged my philosophy, not not the the foundation of it. Right. But the application of right. how how does this work in various types of school settings, whether it's uh, inner city, whether that is a mm-hmm. small rural, whether there's you know all the different community beliefs and things that come in and accessibility and you know all the the different variables that come into any sort of school system. And now I'm yeah. like, man, I would be a, I would be, I just sounds arrogant, like. I would be such a kick butt teacher better than I was when I left because of this experience. Like yeah. now I'm like, now I feel like there's a calling to like, you need to go back and put what you've, what you've learned, you know, right. to the test. Because I look back just like, like some of the things that you talked about, like silent reading. And I'm like, holy cow, I did some things and I'm going, Aaron Maurer, what were you yeah. doing 10 years ago? I, I I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, we can beat ourselves up, but it's like, oh, dude, I want to go back and write an apology letter to uh, a lot of kids going, I'm so sorry that we did, we did this kind of test because boy, that was just bad teaching. Right. <laughs> but I think about that, right? Like the incredible um, journey it is to get to learn from other educators. And we know we don't have enough time for that, right? And so- I wanted the third edition to to be an invitation into my space and say, you know, I'm going to show you it all. And I, it's going to be the good and the bad and the ugly, because that's what how I've always done it. Um, and it's going to be worth your time. And, and you're going to walk away with with actual ideas, but also unfinished business. Yeah. I want you to sit and reflect because that's where I'm at. I have unfinished business. I have so much still to learn. I have so many educators still to learn from. And more importantly, I have so many kids to still teach me. And so I think when my publisher first said, like, what about a third edition? I was like, no, that (laughs) sounds like a nice little marketing, you know, we can go through and update a little bit and share some new resources. And I was like, I am not doing that to other educators. And especially because I felt like the core of the book, um, I hadn't changed, you know, like the book, the book has always been about how to give power back to your students. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I gave it a test run and I took the book. They sent, they were nice enough to send me like the word document. And I was like, let me write through it and see what 
does come up, you know, really sit with my own words as a younger version of me as a teacher yeah, and, and go, now what? Like the situ- situation you're describing, how would I, how would I come at it now with the knowledge that I have now with what the kids have taught me now with what we've lived through. And so I think for me, once I did that and realized that it was like, not just adding stuff in, I was rewriting entire sections. All of a sudden, I think the book is like, 40 pages longer by the time I was done, you know, I was like, Oh, okay, I think maybe I did have some things to add. But it was also about recentering grace for Mm -hmm. kids. um, And and really like not just coming up with flippant statements about how do you create a safe classroom, but really sitting in in the uncomfortable realization that we can't just declare safe spaces as Matt Kay says in (laughs) his beautiful book. So then how do you work towards that? thinking of that red thread throughout the entire book, you know, how do you start off the year in co-creating community with your students? Um, how is the core core of our classroom really about power and positionality and who gets to have power and who gets to have control? And while all of that sounds really good, what does that look like from the day to day? How do you actually do that? Because it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just those specific icebreakers that you bring out on the first day of school and now you've done it and now it's all good. And so for me, it was important that I went back into it and really looked through a lens of like, these are all the different aspects of power and here are ways that kids can get that back, Um, whether it's in grading or in homework or in inquiry there's a huge new section just about like um planning with students and Mm. like and and centering it in inquiry and what does that look like and giving examples and all of that which is like where my heart is anyway um and it would just yeah it it feels good i mean obviously after you've read your own words a billion times you're like these are the dumbest words (laughs) anyone has ever written these ideas are so stupid and so old and who cares Um, but at the same time, I hope it becomes a book that others can read and go, I'm going to try that. And maybe it's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to have that conversation with kids. I'm going to make these changes, um, and, and hopefully feel like something was offered to them that they didn't have before, because I know the best learning that I've had has been when I've had time to sit with my students or watch other colleagues. Yeah, no, I love that. And I know it's it's easy to to beat yourself up and when you read your work and it's all those things. But I think what, what you've said there is I think the most important thing for, for anyone listening is just that like a lot of these ideas that are coming to the surface in education right now, and if we can try to steer away from the marketing and the latest acronyms and all the things that come with that, it's that human side to the work. And what you just said, that idea of giving grace to our students and it's, it's acknowledging the human piece, not just for students, but for the educators, for the leaders, for all of that. And I think so long education has been so focused on the content on the, on the, Mm -hmm. like the, the, the academic side, we've just kind of assumed that the human side would take care of itself. And we are Mm -hmm. seeing now this huge cry for help from all the people in the system. Now, whether we do something with that or not, hopefully we do. But I think Mm -hmm. what you just talked about is it's 
they're they're tried and true ideas because it speaks to the human condition. <laughs> I mean, okay. it's uh, mm-hmm. you know, we can get as like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, I mean, we could have the the greatest graphic organizers, and we can have the coolest brand new buildings, and we can have the latest greatest furniture, and what I mean, we can go through the list of all the things, and all those things are great, uh, but if the human needs aren't being met mm-hmm. for our people. It doesn't, it, 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 the, the nothing moves. And I think, you know, I haven't read your third edition. I'm super excited to, to <laughs> I'll check send out. You, the, I'll send yes, you a draft. <laughs> yes. I would love to see the, the new ideas, but I mean, I think it's, that's what I keep trying to come back to this idea of like people, we're not talking about anything new. We're just, we need to acknowledge what we haven't acknowledged before. <laughs> right. Like, and we need to give it power. Right. Like I think, I was thinking about like, what do I hope people walk away with after working this book or reading this book or working with me or coming across an Instagram post or whatever, like what's at the core, right? And I was thinking about it and it was like, I just want people to have peace and strength to continue to disrupt a system that really only works in pockets and on the back of overworked educators. Like the only reason the system hasn't imploded is because of everybody self-sacrificing. Right. And I, I wanted people to go you know what what I've been thinking is right yeah and 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 we have to change the system because it's not working it's not working for kids um at all you know just at at many many different levels and and I see so many people who so passionately want to make it better and I see them get silenced I, I see them get pushed out I see them get pushed off to the side you know I've and so we have to continue to fight the fight and 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 but also know when to sustain ourselves right right i know i often joke and we'll we'll wrap this up here i appreciate this wonderful conversation but i've always i often joke with my wife as an educator like what would a what would a school building not even a district do like if you could truly corral all the educators to truly legit leave leave the building, leave the premise at the end of their contract time. Like, and legit, I'm not, not go home and work. Just we're going to show up. We're going to work our time. And then we're going to leave. I mean, in theory, theoretically, I think you would, it would call the district to halt and really think things through. The reality is kids get screwed. And that's why teachers continue to work themselves to the bone you know because they right. they their kids matter to them so much and so therefore it's yes i'm exhausted but these kids need me you know and, and i mean that's right. but i've always like if you could figure out a way to do that for people to really truly understand what all goes on outside of that con- contract day like boy what a message i mean but but i would also say i mean again sitting in denmark our kids as teachers leave hmm. When contract is done, they leave. Not everybody. That would right, be a right. huge gross overgeneralization, right? Right, right. But almost everybody. And we were told by our kids as teachers, we answer or we set up meetings during our meeting time at two o'clock on these days. You know, mm. we don't answer the email after I think it's three o'clock, three fifteen. Mm. You will hear from us, you know, the next day or the couple next days. And you know what? I think they're setting a really, really incredible. Um, example for our kids about work-life balance mm, are things slower 
yeah, we've definitely had to get, like adjust to that, right? Like I, I just got an email from my bank and they were like, I'm on vacation tomorrow. So I'll look at your stuff next Thursday. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> but it's been good. And I think, and again, we can't compare. This isn't an apples to apples situation, right? right? We're in a society that respects work-life balance to an extreme, but they've also set up the functionality of the day so that teachers have the time to prep, Mm. have the time to meet, have the time. So teachers work fewer hours in front of kids. I was trying to explain that even to, um, to some of my friends where they were like, well, what's your schedule in the US? And I was like, oh, okay, well, it was um, 8, 8.15 to uh, f- four o'clock every day. And they're like, every day. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, how many t- classes did you teach? And I was like, well, I taught six classes and I had two preps. And they're like, six classes a week? And I was like, no, 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 six classes a day. And they were like, you taught 30 classes a week? Because here it's more common to teach 24 or even fewer if you're new because if you're mm. new then you're getting mentored as well mm. and so and your schedule changes uh monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday the schedules are different oh. because we don't have the same classes every single day so that allows a lot more freedom for teachers schedules right mm. so like my kids have english as a as a foreign language twice a week they have danish three or four times a week but not every single day. And it's different time periods and whatever. So mm. even if we could just look at the schedule and go, why is it we have this factory model of same schedule, A or B days or whatever it is, right? Rip on repeat. How can we blow that up in order to give more freedom? Maybe instead of five math classes, we have four math classes in a, in a week, you know, then we start to see the, the opportunities and, and the potential just possibilities that we have. But we're not willing to do that because someone a long time ago decided that this is what school looks like. Right. How right. that's going to happen, I don't know. You know, we see it happen in, in liberatory spaces. We see it happen outside of the public school system. We see it happen in pockets in some schools. I wish I wish we could have a bigger movement for just even going back and, and relooking at schedules. It's a step. Yeah. We need yeah. steps. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it just speaks volumes too. I think there's that a misconception that I think a lot of those decisions are done because it's easier for the adults versus what's best for kids. And, but at the same time, I don't know that it is easier for adults because every year it is a conundrum over and over and over and over again, but yet it's, it's hard, I think, to take that risk to try something new. And so there's a whole nother, (laughs) that's a whole nother can of worms, you know, but yeah, I think it's, it's spot on. And I think this is the exciting stuff now with the global world is we can look at not just neighboring school districts or other states, but now we can start to look at what are other countries doing and how do we take the elements from all the things that are, are every, Mm -hmm. every, every system has positives. And so just like, like you said, at the very beginning of this to kind of come full circle, how do we take the bits and pieces and really figure out, you know, what does work best? You know, the, what are the awesome things that are working within uh, Denmark and what are some of the things that are working in the U S and what are happening here and there? And then boy, what is this, you know, how can we learn from each other? Um, you know, which is right. the, the, the essential elements of anything we do, not just changing the school system, but just being a lifelong learner. Right. And I hope like, you know, it's weird to leave the classroom, as you say, um, Aaron, it's easy to to just feel like, who am I to even say anything? But 
I hope to continue to just like share, share my own journey of what I'm learning over here. And, and when hope we're going to say when to manifest it, when I get back into the classroom um, to continue to, to have that ongoing dialogue between the U.S. and Denmark. When we made the decision, I was torn up about it. Everything in my local community was really powerful and, and leaving friends and family and, and my classroom and my dream job and all of those things was so hard. But my husband looked at me, he said, it doesn't have to be permanent. Mm. And I think that that's been really um, calming to me right now. We're in Denmark. Who knows where we'll be in, in the future, maybe another country, maybe back to the States. But I hope to continue to be a part of the educational conversation happening in North America, right? Because that's where my heart is. And my heart has been there for so long. And with that idea of, you know, but have we looked at it this way? Can we, can we bring in other pieces? And then also highlighting all of the incredible things that are happening in the U.S. Because there are so many incredible things happening despite the limitations of the system, despite the boundaries placed on people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's looking to to celebrate those moments and how do we continue to to grow and expand those things. And so, Pernille, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, gosh, what a great start to my day as it's bright early <laughs> in my day and you're, you're, you're wrapping I've, up I'm your halfway day. through the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, <laughs> you're rocking it. And so I, I so appreciate this. Gosh, this conversation just was exactly what my... Uh, heart and mind needed as we continue to to figure out the next steps in education. And for those that want to continue to learn more about you, those that aren't already following your journey, you know, what are some of the best ways? I know I've got I'm all over a lot of your stuff. You're, I've got your, <laughs> your, your link tree thing. I'll definitely get there in the show notes, yeah. which I know has a lot of your links and yeah. obviously links to your latest edition of your book. But for those listening that maybe at a, at a stoplight want to, do a yeah. quick search. Uh, where's the best place to go? I think, uh, well, I'm, I don't know. I guess it depends on what you're looking for. I think that's the fun thing with social media. So Twitter is kind of random, whatever. That's where I've been the longest. Instagram is a lot of like just book recommendations and random questions and micro PD. I have a Patreon community where I do one-on-one -on -one work with people, which has been a ton of fun. Um, and then of course, Facebook passionate readers is a massive Facebook group where there's just lots of people sharing ideas and questions about reading, liter uh, reading instruction and literacy. And then, you know, I'm in Denmark too. So if you're here, <laughs> I would love to connect with you as I'm broadening here and I still do speaking. So I'm, I'm on the road. Like I said, next time I'm headed to Canada, I'm going to Alberta and then Toronto, um, but I also think I'm just super Googleable, And so if, if you're ever looking for um, a conversation or a connection or an idea, I, I love being helpful to others. So I'm very easy to find. Oh, and I have my blog, but I don't write so much on it anymore. Hmm. I think it's because I was writing my other book. So, right, right. Yeah. Awesome. So a good little slice to figure out whatever your, your flavor right, whatever is. Whatever you need. You can, you can definitely an you can find her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Uh, it was also just so nice to see you. And Yes. Oh, yes. Likewise. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all that you do for education and sharing the message and, and continue to inspire and help others remind themselves that they're doing good work and uh, they're not alone in this journey. And so um, we, we definitely appreciate all that you do to uh, keep people going from day to day. Thank you. And likewise. Hey, hey, hey.